Welcome to this episode of Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey. Uh, this is episode is Mormon chapter 2. Uh, really, the, the highlight of this chapter um, in terms of, I guess there's two points that stand out to me. And that's where I'll focus. And the first is in, in chapter thir- or verse 13. So, the beginning of the chapter, Mormon takes command of the Nephite armies and just blood and carnage sweep over the entire land. Mormon is 16 years old. And it says, Therefore it came to pass that in my 16th year I did go forth at the head of an army of the Nephites. That sounds like terrible life to be leading, right? But again, think as you read, ponder what you can learn from Mormon's example. He did not lead an easy life. Here we are in about 326, 327 AD. He's 16 years old. He's leading an army into battle. And look at what he describes, but then look at what the person that he is. Look at the book that he was able to compile for us. The abridgment that he was able to compile. The testimony of Christ. And that's where I think it's easy to forget sometimes that Mormon, the reason we have the Book of Mormon is because of Mormon. Think about the testimonies of that he's put in himself as, as he's left his own commentary. But also think about the testimonies that he made sure to include. Think about how back in the uh, words of Mormon, he, he said, I found these small plates and it's first Nephi uh, through Omni. And think about the testimonies that we have of Jacob and of Lehi and of Nephi and the words of Isaiah that were involved, included in, the, in those sections. Think about the testimony of Alma the Older and Alma the Younger, Abinadi. Mormon compiled this for us. Mormon included it. I think it's safe to say that those were his testimony. That's his testimony as well. That's the kind of man we're dealing with. And now as you look and you see how did he come out of this? How did he? He was 16 years old leading an army of the Nephites. So the people, uh, I had mentioned, I mentioned verse 10 uh, in the chapter that we, in the, pre, in the first episode of this week, in talking about chapter one. And the people couldn't keep that which was their own. And then Mormon says, Thus there began to be mourning and lamentation in the land because of the things, of these things. And the, the Nephites started to mourn. And Mormon saw it and he says, My heart did begin to rejoice. Why would he rejoice with mourning? Well, go back and you look at Alma uh, as Alma was teaching the Zoramites. And he hears these questions from the poor downtrodden people and they're saying, hey, we're poor and downtrodden. And he turns he turns, and he's that's who he addresses because he's excited because the humility that they had. Uh, similarly, uh, Ammon, the son of Mo- Mosiah, was out tending the sheep and the sheep get scattered by the Lamanites and the Lamanites that he was with get all sad and say, oh man, we're all going to die. The king's going to kill us because we lost a sheep. And Ammon gets excited because he knows that here's a chance for me to show forth the power of God and converting them and the humility. They're in a state of pl- a place and a state of mind where they can be taught. So Mormon starts to rejoice thinking, all right, here we go. We got this. The Lord's going to be merciful. He's going he's gonna to allow them to repent. They're starting to 
uh, be penitent and humble. But then it says, But behold, this my joy was in vain, for their sorrowing was not unto repentance, but because of the goodness of God. But it was rather the sorrowful of the sorrowing of the damned, because the Lord would not always suffer them to take happiness and sin. Uh, we, I mean, think think to Alma chapter forty one. That wickedness never was happiness. They they wanted to live contrary to the laws of the nature of God. They wanted to have be wicked and do anything that they felt like doing and have happiness and peace and prosperity, but that's contrary to the nature of God. Uh, Elder Maxwell said, the sorrowing of the damned, uh, about the sorrowing of the damned, after recognition, real remorse floods the soul. This is a godly sorrow, not merely the sorrow of the world, nor the sorrowing of the damned when we can no longer take happiness and sin. And that comes from Second Corinthians uh, chapter 7. False remorse instead is like fondling our failings. In ritual, in ritual regret, we mourn our mistakes, but without mending them. President Benson said, Godly sorrow is a gift of the Spirit. It is, deep, it is a deep realization that our actions have offended our Father and our God. It is the sharp and keen awareness that our behavior caused the Savior, who knew no sin, even the greatest of all, to endure agony and suffering. Our sins caused him to bleed every pore. This very real mental and spiritual anguish is what the scriptures refer to as having a broken heart and a contrite spirit. That that unfortunately uh, is not the kind of sorrow that the the, uh, the Nephites had. They had uh, a ritual regret, as Elder Maxwell said. Uh, they did not have this gift of the Spirit of of real, true penitence and humility and godly sorrow. And so, Mormon says. It came to pass that my sorrow did return unto me again, and I saw that the day of grace was past. And so what did that what does that mean, the day of grace? Elder Holland said It is at this moment in Nephi history, just under nine hundred and fifty years since it had begun, and just over three hundred years since they had been visited by the Son of God himself, that Mormon realized the story was finished. In perhaps the most chilling line he ever wrote. Mormon asserted simply, I saw that the day of grace was passed with them, both temporally and spiritually. His people had learned uh, that most fate, the most faith, fateful of all lessons, that the Spirit of God will not, will not always strive with man, that it is possible collectively as well as individually to have time run out. The day of repentance can pass, and it had passed for the Nephites. Their numbers were being hewn down in open rebellion against their God. And in a metaphor, almost too vivid as it is, uh, moral commentary, they were being heaped up as dung upon the face of the land. So this begs the question: How can the how can the day of self of grace pass? How can I thought the Lord's hand is always outstretched? Well, President Kimball talked about that. He said it is true that the great principle of repentance is always available, but for the wicked and rebellious, there are serious reservations to this statement. For instance, sin is intensely habit forming and sometimes moves men to the most tragic point of no return. As the transgressor moves deeper and deeper into his sin, and the error he is entrenched more deeply, and the will to change is weakened, it becomes increasingly near hopeless, and he skids as he skids down and down until either he does not want to climb back or he has lost the power to do so. And I would add to that thought that 
uh, there are natural consequences for our actions that even uh, happen and happen in life, even when we are penitent. If we uh, commit a crime, we might be penitent and sorry and rep- and liter- and in all actuality repent, but there are natural consequences for that that may need to be paid as well. And that's, I think, part of what the Nephite people were up against. They had sown some seeds that were going to grow. And uh, while individual people may have had the opportunity and time to repent, and uh, as Mormon said, come unto Jesus with broken hearts and contrite spirits and not curse God, the society as a whole did not. And so Mormon recognizes that and says, well, the day has passed and now the seeds have been planted and they've been watered, and now they they will have to uh, reap what they have sown. The second thing that stands out, I, so that's the first thing, is this this uh, topic of um, this godly sorrow versus the sorrow of the world. The second is Mormon pointing out that in verse 18, that he, for behold, a continual scene of wickedness and abomination has been before mine eyes ever since I have been sufficient to behold the ways of man. Again, it's just this stark contrast and uh, kind of background to the man that Mormon is and that he became. Uh, And then he bears this testimony in verse 19. He says, For my heart has been filled with sorrow because of their wickedness all my days. Nevertheless, I know that I shall be lifted up at the last day. He knew. He knew that he had been righteous and that he had been blessed and he could, and that's what he could control. And then in verse 26, it says that they were left to themselves and it came to pass that when they had fled, we did pursue them with our armies uh, and again did beat them. Nevertheless, the strength of the Lord was not with us. We were left to ourselves. The spirit of the Lord did not abide in us. Therefore, we had become weak like unto our brethren. Elder... Uh, Ray H. Wood, then of the 70s, said, When a person violates any of God's commandments, if there is no repentance, the Lord withdraws his protective and sustaining influence. When we lose the power with God, we know of a certainty that the problem lies within us and not within God. I, the Lord, am bound when you do what I say, but but when you do not what I say, you have no promise. Our misdeeds bring despair. They sadden and extinguish the perfect brightness of hope offered by Christ. When we stop repenting, we lose the power up that repentance brings. We lose access to the power of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and we are left to ourselves. So, uh, I'm going to end here. Chapter 3, uh, I will actually come back to chapter 2, because there's this peace treaty that bleeds in from chapter 2 into chapter 3. Uh, some interesting just timing that, to, to reference there. Hope you'll join me to learn about that. It has to do with uh, the year of Jubilee and a sabbatical year and just some interesting nuggets that you can glean from uh, maybe some uh, festivals and traditions that still remained from the Law of Moses that the people still maybe may have celebrated and how it impacts their actual life and the events that we read about. Hope you'll join me for that as well as uh, a discussion of... Uh, judgment and and how the judgment may take place some some pretty cool things that we can learn from uh mormon chapter three 
in that regard. Thanks for joining me. Hope you join me in the next episode as we talk about Mormon chapter three.